Welcome to episode two of the Web Gems Fantasy Baseball Podcast. I am one of your hosts. I'm Double J Johnny, and I'm here with the Say Hey Kid. The Say Hey Kid. All over cases. That's right. <clears throat> All right. Welcome to episode two. We're going to jump right in, and we're going to start with talking about um, some updates from the last episode. Uh, the first is we have uh, a 12th uh, manager, actually managers. Uh, it's my cousin Angelo and his oldest son, Donovan. Um, they actually played, uh, they have, they've, Angelo's played in the past. And in fact, the year we're going to go back to uh, during our Web Gems history segment is the year he started. Um, so we're happy to have uh, Angelo back co-managing with his son, Donovan. Um, and they're going to be taking over Brian's team. That's right. Okay, um, next thing I want to talk about is I, I wanted I forgot to mention something from that first uh, season that we had our league, and it was that it was Uncle Eric's first season playing fantasy baseball, correct? Correct. Um, and he had asked me to draft for him, and I think he made this comment, um, but he gave me strict instructions. Not to draft any Dodgers. <laughs> um, I think that was it, but no Dodgers at all. I'm pretty sure he's come off that now. Oh, I think so. I think so. Um, so I remember the first pick that I took for him was Jason Schmidt. I think it was. I mean, it's a, it's always a little iffy taking a pitcher in the first round. Uh, but I believe it was at the end of the first round. And Jason Schmidt was coming off an incredible season. Do you remember how good he was? He was very good. I, I don't have his exact stats in front of me, but he was outstanding. Yeah. Well, I'm going to pull up his exact stats here. Um, so this would have been the 2004 season when he was so good. Um, and the unfortunate thing is <laughs> the year Uncle Eric had him, he was awful. So in 2004... Uh, he was coming off a season in which he was 18 and 7. He had four complete games. He had a 320 ERA, a 108 whip. He struck out over 10 batters per nine. And he just had an incredible season. The year I drafted him for Uncle E Trader, he went 12 and 7, no complete games. He had a 440 ERA, a 142 whip, and an 8.63 K to 9. It's quite a drop. A huge fall off. And then the season after that, he continued to dip. Um, so I, I think he peaked in 2004, had a couple below average seasons in 05 and 06, and then he kind of fell off the map. Remember, he got signed by the Dodgers, and then he didn't – I think he had – I'm looking here, he had 25 innings for them in 07, and then that was it. It was pretty much the last we saw of Jason Schmidt. He really fell off a cliff. Yeah, like you said, 2004 was his last really good year. Even the two preceding years – uh, were very good, so there was all the reason in the world to think, you know, he was going to be a great pickup for Eric. Yeah, you're right. Looking at he, he was good three years running, three years in a row with the Giants. His first three seasons were fantastic, and uh, but unfortunately for Uncle Eric, that didn't work out. Um, the other thing I want to talk about was uh, we were talking discussing two teams last time. We weren't sure who they were. Right. And I'm pretty sure, in fact, I'm like 99% sure that the Penguins was Greg. Yes, I, I'm equally 99.9% certain. I remember <clears throat> Greg playing with us, but I didn't think it was our first season. Yeah, I didn't either. But, um, but we kind of verified that based on the Kurt Schilling 
thing. Yeah, so the reason I found out it was Greg was we have, you know, a big <laughs> well-known moment in our history when Greg had the very first pick in the draft that season. Right, we were still doing Serpentine, or we were doing Serpentine. Yeah. And who did he select? <laughs> Kurt, <coughs> Kurt Schilling, <laughs> who, in all fairness, was pretty good, but he wasn't a first overall pick. No, I think he was more like a second or third round pick if you look at, if we were going off our fantasy baseball magazines, we were going off at the time. Right. So it wasn't like he was a bad pitcher or anything, um, but it was just a, a real surprise. And I remember us all kind of looking at each other like, did that just happen? <laughs> well, I mean, Schilling had been in the news. The Red Sox had won the uh, pennant the year before. He had the famous bloody sock. All of that uh, went in. And so, you know, it was from a, a standpoint of someone that you know you knew who he was he was famous for what had gone on the year before i i could see greg taking him greg didn't understand fantasy baseball well enough to to be able to really make a good good choice uh, yeah and unfortunately for greg uh kurt schilling was actually even worse than jason schmidt was that year he only pitched 93 innings he must have been hurt for a considerable amount of it. And he had a 569 ERA and a 153 whip. Wow. Yeah. What was his uh, K to 9? Uh, 8.39. Fair, but Which that's... is actually slightly up from the year before. Um, but but not, not in keeping with uh, a lot of the years he'd had prior. He had several years over 10. So... Yeah. Uh, and he did come back, bounce back a little bit in 06. He came back with a 397 ERA over 200 innings. Um, but then he was uh, eh, okay in 07, 151 innings, 387 ERA. Actually, a little better ERA than the year before, but his K rate drops considerably. And then he didn't pitch after that. Well, suffice it to say, probably the worst first overall pick in the history of the league. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I hope you're not listening, Greg. Um, okay, and then the other thing was we, we had discussed last time uh, why we felt David won. I expressed that I thought he had a good draft um, and didn't mess around too much with his lineup. You talked about his late season moves that he made. Um, But there were two very key trades um, that David made last season. One of them involved uh, Carlos Carrasco, who, as I was going through his list of players he drafted, um, Carlos Carrasco was like the one big cost player that he drafted outside of maybe Tanaka who didn't really give him anything. However, Carrasco did give him something. Um, do you remember who he traded Carrasco for? Uh, Chris Bryant. Yeah, and that happened on May 9th. This is really early in the season um, before, obviously, Carrasco got hurt. He traded for Bryant with Scott. Scott was looking to bolster his pitching. He had uh, a plethora of guys uh, on his offense, and he was kind of uh, he had room to spare a star. You know, he had lost Severino, if you remember. That's right. right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. He lost Severino, Severino before the draft even started, unfortunately. Uh, so David did end up getting good value out of that $42 that he spent because he was able to get rid of Carrasco before, that, um, before he went down. And then the other trade he made was also with Scott. Uh, right around the All-Star break, um, David, I think, kind of kicked off the uh, uh, the the late season trades to help bolster your championship prospects. He 
basically traded to nobodies, David Fletcher, Adam Cash, uh, Andrew Kashner, and some money. I don't remember how much it was. Um, I guess like 20 bucks or something like that. Um, for Jose Ramirez and Zach Greinke. Right. Um, Greinke pitched well last year, as we all, all know. And then Jose Ramirez. Hot second half. Hot second half. Uh, that really awful first half. Just <laughs> horrendous. Um, but David, you know, kind of believed in the guy's history and it, it worked out for him. Uh, I'm looking at his splits from his first and second half. Um, in the first half, he had a weighted runs created plus of 68. Now, 100 is league average. Right. So 68 is atrocious. And then second half, 176. Who's polar opposites. Uh, so, yeah, David got him at the right time. Um, and then, you know, obviously adding Zach Granke helped tremendously. So, in addition to the two things you and I mentioned, uh, David had a couple really key trades. And I think that's, uh, that was the key to his success. All right. So, uh, we're ready to move into our uh, Web Gems history segment mm -hmm. where we're going to look at uh, the 2006 season, which was the second season of Web Gems. Uh, actually, not Web Gems. No, the Sandlot. This was the Sandlot. So we were still kind of finding our identity as a. As I wonder a how many fantasy leagues were named the Sandlot. Oh. <laughs> it was probably millions. I don't know, but it was a lot. Yeah. So we went from Major League to the Sandlot. Um, and then I think a little preview 07 was the first year we were actually Web Gems. We'll have to uh, look to confirm that. But um, okay, so let's go through uh, the teams that season. Um, so, uh, first place, uh, was you say, Hey kid, 2006, my first win. Uh-huh. Uh, second place, despite, uh, the Jason Schmidt and, and no Dodger debacle, <laughs> uh, uncle Eric actually came in second place. Although do you see the huge gap in points yes, there? Uh, about a 38 point gap. <laughs> yeah. You won in a landslide. It wasn't even close. And on top of that. Also unusual, you did not win the moves race that season. Oh, wow. That's an upset in and of itself. Yeah, you had 56 moves. Uh, there was quite a few, several teams, well, two or three teams, two, two teams ahead of me. Uh, yeah, Eric had 87. I had 73. And then uh, Angelo was close at 53, and so was Justin at 51. And I had 58. I don't know if we said that, but yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, you won that year. Uh, Uncle Eric came in second place. Uh, Angelo came in third place. Uh, he was Roseburgenite, because he's from right. Roseburg, Oregon. Uh, I was Fireflies. Uh, I was fourth. Uh, Brad, the Cerebral Assassins. I think that was Brad's first year playing. I think so, yeah. And this really kicked off. This Playing fantasy baseball made baseball Brad's favorite sport. I think Brad would say at this point, Brad's favorite sport is baseball um and it's because of fantasy he just he really grew to love this sport by digging into it um uh, through this portal of fantasy sports and uh he came in fifth place that year the cerebral assassins named after uh triple h one of his favorite wrestlers and then sixth place <clears throat> was a, a one-time player uh named brian who i knew from my teaching credential program Right. Uh, he was one of just a couple of guys, uh, along with myself, who were in uh, my credential program out at uh, Cal State East Bay. 
And uh, his name was Brian. He'd been in the military. Fun fact about Brian, he was actually in the movie Men in Black. I was going to bring that up, yeah. Yeah. Do you remember the scene he was in? He was in the classroom scene kind of at the beginning where Will Smith had been drafted in and was sitting in the classroom. And Brian, wasn't it? And Brian was one of the guys sitting in that. Yeah, they had, in the movie they, they brought in a bunch of people to potentially... Um, work with the organization recruits Re- to, yeah pop yes potential recruits a uh, bunch of military guys and then will smith's character and brian was one of the military guys he had been in the military when you say military guys you mean literally military guys right wasn't uh, brian in the military he was actually yeah. in the military yeah. yes i believe he was in the army right um and he uh yeah i don't know if the other actors were actually in the military or not but uh, he was in it. Uh, he's the guy. You can tell it's him because he has kind of big, prominent ears. So he's <laughs> he's the, the the military guy with the big ears. Um, but he played because he and I kind of bonded over baseball. Um, and he played fantasy sports. And we were looking for people to play in our league. So we brought in Brian. Um, he came in, ended up coming in sixth place, but which is pretty impressive considering that he supposedly quit. Partway through the season. He did. He quit. Uh, he was a um, shining example of, you know, someone who could dish it out but couldn't take it. <laughs> yeah, he... Uh, the... He very knowledgeable about baseball, by the way. He was a, he was a, a great, a excellent participant in that respect. Yeah, very opinionated about trades and uh, whether trades were equal or not equal, which... We've all been kind of guilty of, uh, but he just... He was a little more brutal in his comments, though. (laughs) I mean, Eric made a trade where he traded a hitter for a pitcher. And, uh, you know, Brian went on the warpath about no idiot, and I'm paraphrasing him a little bit, but I wouldn't put it past him to use the word idiot. Um, No idiot uh, trades a pitcher for a hitter when a pitcher only plays every fifth day and a hitter plays every day. Etc. Etc. He was brutal. Uh, yeah, it was very questionable logic in the first place. But uh, yeah, kind of rough. A little rougher than we like to be. Um, however, um, <laughs> he supposedly quit. But then there are actually a, a couple of posts after the point where he quit. Um, and I'm going to read the first one. Uh, this is from Uncle Eric. Uh, <laughs> the The subject is Brian gone. I think not, dot, dot, dot. And then uh, he, his post says, just check out his team. Someone has changed his lineup. Wonder who could have done that. Interesting. I think it's interesting that Eric knew somebody had changed his lineup. I mean, I mean that <laughs> would seem to suggest that Eric knew what his lineup was before. I wouldn't have known that, probably. <laughs> but anyway... Yeah, uh, so, and then I think there was another post later, um, I, I didn't link it for myself, so I'd have to dig yeah. in, but there's someone else pointed out that some moves had been made by Brew Crew, yeah. so it seems like he, he probably continued at least kind of participating, just not. Yeah, and just, just, I don't mean to belabor this, but the reason for Brian leaving was I mentioned his blasting Eric. And uh, I couldn't sit by any longer and listen to him blast people, and especially my baby brother. And so I, and I'm not proud of this, but I kind of tore into him. And then he complained about, you know, somebody ripping on him, even though he was doing it to other people. And uh, he, uh, 
he said he wasn't going to play. Uh, interesting fact about Brian and something he seemed to be proud of, which I thought, I don't know what that said about him, but he mentioned how he had joined a public league um, under two different names so that he could trade with himself during the season. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, Web Gems... Uh, this league, our our season, our first year in fantasy baseball, like there's always been controversy of <laughs> of some sort. We've we've never been quite drama free. Although I feel like the last couple of seasons have been a lot better. Yeah. So maybe we're coming. We've kind of come out of that. Thank but, goodness money isn't involved. It'd uh, really be yeah, bad. Yeah, I know. <laughs> okay, so that was a Brew Crew. That was Brian's team. He came in sixth. Seventh place was a team called Really Boozing again. Who. Uh, I have you have you figured out who that is yet? Is no, from... you know I can see his face, and you know I'm usually pretty good with names. So but... real quick, this is someone from Some, AAA, from somebody that I worked with that was in the league that Jonathan and I originally participated in at work, um, and I drafted here, recruited him to to join the team, and his team name uh, in trip in uh, AAA was what was it? Booze Booze Hounds. Booze Hounds. And so he re he named his name re- renamed his team really boozing again, but I don't recall his name. So uh, yeah, he was seventh. Eighth place was Justin Team Falula, uh, probably around the time of the birth of the legendary Falula Chong. Uh, and the ninth place was David, and he was named Grave Digger after the monster truck. I presume so. Um, now we're not going to dig into the players from each team at the time. Uh, but we are going to look at the first round or two of the draft. Now, at the time, we were in, uh, we were doing uh, an offline draft. So the way that works is we just draft, and then we just record on paper whatever what our draft picks were. And then I have to go in and submit those picks. But the way the, the system works, you have to put out a little extra effort in order to put the players in order um, they were picked, in the order they were picked. But I wasn't... I just didn't care enough at the time to do that. So what the draft results that are listed, I'm pretty confident aren't the actual draft results with the exception that the players listed in the first round were actually the first round players. They just weren't drafted in this order. Yeah, the order we have isn't necessarily the order they were drafted in. Yeah. It's... I feel like... So round one has... uh, The first pick was me taking Jake Peavy, which could could be. I, I remember taking Jake Peavy, and I, I guess it could have been my first pick, but I just can't imagine I would have passed on Pujols, who this has going forth, which behind Mark Teixeira and Jason Bay. So we're pretty certain based on that, that this wasn't the actual first round order, but these were the first round picks. So they had me taking Jake Peavy, you took Jason Bay, uh, Pirates great who was he was, was really good at the time he was he had good power and he had decent speed if I recall yeah I think he would steal 15 maybe even 20 bases um, Mark Teixeira was uh, taken by Uncle Eric uh, Brian had taken Albert Pujols uh, David took A-Rod uh, Team Falula had Vladimir Guerrero uh, Brad had taken Manny Ramirez uh, really boozing again had taken Johan Santana and Angelo had taken Derek Lee who I, I believe was coming off a really impressive season and I think he was kind of injury plagued that year um, a lot of message posts there were a lot of message posts that season and most of them were you Eric and Angelo 
and a few of them, uh, Angelo was talking about Derek Lee and how uh, his first round pick wasn't performing very well. In fact, yep, I'm looking at it. In 2005, oh yeah, Derek Lee had his career year in 2005. He had a 335 batting average, uh, a 1080 OPS, and he had 46 home runs. Nice season. That was that incredible season. And then the year, this year we're talking about, 06, he only had 204 plate appearances. And he batted 286 with about a 740 OPS, or 840 OPS with eight home runs. So uh, injuries really ruined that season for him. And it's impressive. Angelo actually came in third place despite kind of losing his first round pick. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, So uh, second round, we'll just look at one more round. Um, Angelo took Miguel Cabrera, which that probably saved a lot uh, of his season. Uh, really boozing again, took Mariano Rivera. That was probably the first closer off the board. Uh, Brad took Chris Carpenter, um, who had come off that really good season of seven complete games and five shutouts. Uh, Justin took Michael Young. David took David Ortiz. Uh, Brian took David Wright. Eric took Roy Oswalt. Uh, you took Chase Utley. And then I took Roy Halliday. Wow. First two picks. Pitchers. Yeah. I'm thinking maybe I had... uh, I was the last pick of the first round and the first pick of the second round. And I went back to back. That seems somewhat familiar. Yeah. So that could very well be. So anyway, uh, there's some some names from the past. Um, One more post I want to read from this season. Uh, Might be... (laughs) Uh, so this kind of relates to uh, the change uh, that I was proposing last time, how we add more active pitching slots so you don't have to you don't have to pull out your ace pitcher to play like your number five guy because you don't have enough spots to keep him in and then forget to put him in last time. So I see there's an ulterior motive here for <laughs> for bringing this up. No, this, <laughs> we're, we're pitching, this making is, a pitch. Huh? This is happenstance. Everything's all connected though. Uh, so this post is by me, and it's entitled Conspiracy with an exclamation point. And it says, Dad, I asked you to set my team for today. You didn't start Smoltz, and he got a complete game. What gives? I'm not really upset. I'm assuming you didn't know because I don't think you'd purposely do something like that. Um, and then uh, as it happens, uh, well, uh, yeah, Eric made a comment about conspiracies, and then uh, you said that you had misunderstood what I wanted you to do, and that you thought I had access. So I was in Arizona at the time. Right. So this was the trip that Justin, David, and I took down to Arizona to go visit uh, Zach and Cameron and Gina and all them. So and so that was the year before I started teaching. So anyway, uh, uh, there's a, a historical reason for us to uh, expand the number of active pitching slots. <laughs> and just comment here, I mean, complete games, although it's always been the most rare stat. Uh, well, Short shut of shutouts. Outs, shutouts, right. but yeah, but of what we have now. Um, it, was, um, it wasn't as rare then as it is now. And yet, it was still a you know cause for concern that you lost out on a complete game. So. Yeah, you're right. It, it wasn't as rare back then. In fact, we can actually look and see how rare. Um, so it's looking like uh, the most complete games that season was Eric, and he had 10. Uh, you and Angelo both had 9, 
I had seven, and so did Justin. So in the end, I maybe missed out on like a, a point or so. Not gonna didn't didn't end up mattering. No, it end. made no difference as far as winning and losing. And then uh, David had six, and we had three teams tied at four, which is wild because I think if you get four in our league now, you're one of the leaders. Yeah. And that was the bottom of the barrel uh, way back then. So, uh, yeah, it, you're it, right. It is interesting how complete games has changed as we go back through history. And not to belabor this, but I mean, I think it was really funny. Um, I, Justin and I had gone to a Giants game, and we were out of McCovey Cove walking around where they have the plaques for the different years, and they show the team leaders and uh, I forgot what year it was, maybe 68 we were looking at. And uh, it had complete games, and it had Juan Marichal leading the Giants in complete games that year with 30. <laughs> and Justin thought it was like a mistake. <laughs> yeah, that can't be right. 30? <laughs> so, uh, anyway. Yeah, the game has changed so much. Um, and yeah, just confirming... Uh, our league leader in complete games last year was Brandon with four. There you go. Um, so uh, 14, 13 or 14, year, 14 or 15 years ago, actually, at this point, um, the, the landscape of complete games has changed a lot. Okay, um, we're going to take a short break, um, and then we'll move on uh, to our next segment um, where we will discuss uh, some keeper analysis. Uh, for uh, Angelo and Donovan, for Trevor, for Kyle and Eric. Um, We will be right back. Stop torturing yourself, man. You'll never afford it. Live in the now. All right, we're back. And we're going to talk about uh, keeper prospects uh, for the four uh, middle teams, the teams who finished uh, fifth through eighth. Um, So we're going to start with uh, Angelo and Donovan. Uh, okay. Taking over Brian's team, who finished uh, eighth last season, I believe. Unless I have that backwards, he might have been fifth, but I think he was eighth. Uh, all right, so um, six keepers, Angelo and Donovan, who you got? Uh, well, some are easy. I, I get to the sixth one, it's a little tougher for me, but uh, Verlander, I think, is almost a no-brainer. Uh, he's $44, but well worth it. Um, uh, I got Aaron Nola at $23, Clevenger at $14, gives him a nice uh, trio of pitchers. Yeah, it to, really uh, does. To, uh, as a core. And then as far as his hitters, I have um, Mac, Max Muncie, uh, hit 35 home runs last year. I don't recall his other stats off the top of my head, but, um, but pretty decent. And he was 16. Uh, Real Muto, who was uh, you know one of the better hitting catchers. Catcher being a tough stat, I, I chose that he would probably might keep him at $21. A little more than we typically spend a catcher, but uh, it's not unprecedented by any means. So, um, And then the last one was a little tough. I, I was struggling between Benintendi, uh, Ozuna, and uh, Moustakas. Um, I'm not a Benintendi fan, and I don't have his stats in front of me. I should have done that and been a little bit better prepared. But um, he's $28. Azuna's 16, and he's going to the Braves. Uh, he just signed a one-year contract with them. Uh, that could be favorable uh, for him. Um, and then Moustakis was 10. I, I just took, be honest, I took a shot in the dark and said uh, Azuna. 
and I said $16. Um, if that's who he drafts, then I have him spending $134. He's got 316 to work with, so it gives him a very solid $172 to draft with. Yeah, Angelo has never been afraid to spend money. Um, he, if, if the guy's good, Angelo will pay for it. Um, it'll be interesting to see. Oh, I realized last time I said it'll be interesting a lot. Trying to cut down. <laughs> It'll be fascinating. Well, I think that just speaks to the fact that this is all very interesting. So, um, I'm curious to see uh, if Donovan's the same way, um, uh, and if that's the case, then uh, they're not going to shy away from spending. Uh, I had a hard time identifying the sixth keeper too. Uh, the fifth, uh, the top five, I was right there with you. Now, what if I were to tell you they had a player on their team? who's $5, who had an 831 OPS, 35 home runs, 118 RBIs, and 94 runs last year. Doesn't strike out very much. Doesn't walk that much, but it's not going to kill you. Uh, and hit 269. How would you feel about a guy like that who's 5 bucks? Uh, you're talking about Escobar? Talking yeah. about Eduardo Escobar. Yeah. Um, he wasn't a world beater, but... At five bucks with those runs and RBIs, yeah, thirty-five yeah. homers, eight thirty-one OPS is slightly on the positive side. It's it's not as good as it used to be, but it's still quality. And two sixty-nine average is quality. Did you compare him to Mustakas? How did I? I didn't. Okay. Um, Mustakas actually, I think I did at the time. Uh, Mustakas was one of the guys that I was kind of thinking about here. So he had. Um, a 254 average, uh, 845 OPS, so a basically similar OPS, same home runs, 35, but he had a lot less runs in RBIs, but that I, I, there's lots of reasons why that could have been. Um, on his new team, he might uh, be better. So they were pretty similar. Um, and he's twice the cost. And he's twice the cost, um, and he plays third base, which is super deep. Although does he qualify at second base now? I don't. I I would guess yes, but I don't know that for a fact. He does. I do, I can see it for a fact now. He okay. he played. He started forty games last year at second base. So Mustakas has some positional eligibility advantage over Escobar, um, but they have fairly similar numbers, and uh, Escobar's cheaper. So I think he's someone that can. Uh, Angelo and Donovan uh, will we'll probably consider. And you know what? Uh, he plays second and third, too. Oh, okay. So he qualifies at both positions as well. So they have a couple nice options there um, between for their sixth spot with Escobar and Moustakis. Um, unless they end up throwing some curveballs. You never quite know what someone's going to do. Um, you mentioned a couple other names that were pretty good. Um, so, some other guys that are worth consideration. Um, a lot of people are really high on Andrew Heaney. Um, mm -hmm. He hasn't put it together yet, but he strikes out a lot of guys, has a really good swinging strike rate. So he's really good. Um, Edwin Encarnacion, another really <laughs> solid season <laughs> last year uh, at seven bucks. Um, that's almost nothing. And who did he sign with? I don't he signed remember. with someone. I, uh, I don't recall. Someone it. listening to this is screaming out the name of the team he signed with. Uh, undoubtedly. Um, White Sox. White Sox, okay. Yeah. Great lineup yeah. this year. Great yeah. lineup. Um, so he's worthy of consideration. I agree with Marcelo Zuna. He could be really good. Um, 
Angelo's never been afraid to to spend uh, on good relievers. So while Andrew Chapman is seventeen bucks, Araldus Chapman. Chapman, Justin Bieber, you yeah, know, right. Uh, he's maybe it's Justin Chapman. <laughs> <laughs> he is uh, he's one of the top relievers in the league. Yeah, and he always is. Um, and I, I don't think it, Angelo and Donovan would be afraid to spend seventeen bucks on that. But yeah, okay, so we'll see what they do. All right, the next team uh, coming in. Uh, so that was the the eighth place team. So the seventh place team uh, was Trevor. Uh, Trevor um, has. Uh, here's our list for Trevor. Uh, who did you have for Trevor? Um, I had him starting out with a couple of pitchers, and I Flaherty and Lizardo. Um, he and I. Uh, engaged in a very healthy uh, back and forth on trying to draft Lazardo last year. So, um, I, and he's an A's fan. So, uh, I admit, I expect those two and Flaherty. How as he, you know, we all know he really his second half was pretty amazing. So I had him with those two. I had him uh, Flaherty at twenty eight, Lazardo at twenty one, Springer at twenty five. I know he's a big fan there. Lemayhew twenty six. Again, going back to the A's uh, connection, Olsen, Matt Olsen at 16. Um, and then, uh, you know, there was Whit Merrifield at 19, but Kepler was 3 bucks, And I put down that he would keep Kepler at $3. <laughs> um, so that gave him 119... Oh, okay, messed up my math. $119 uh, that he would spend. He has 260 Let's see, I messed up before. So we're leaving with $141 to spend. That's on the low end. Um, even someone like me with, uh, you know, keeping a Mike Trout and a Mookie Betts, they're very expensive, um, would be not quite where he is, but close. So he's going to be on the low, if he keeps all those guys, he's going to be on the lower echelon in terms of what he has to spend in the draft. Yeah, I agree. The, the keepers that he has access to they're not super overpriced or anything but they're not those really cheap bargain players right um with maybe a couple of exceptions i'm in i'm in total agreement i think it's a foregone conclusion he keeps aj puck um aj puck i didn't say puck you did not say puck no i did not oh well then i think he's keeping puck Okay, so Puck instead of Kepler? Um, that's what I have. Okay, and, uh, so, I could see that. So I had him down for uh, Matt Olson, yes. Um, George Springer has kind of been uh, the anchor of his team for a few years now, and he was tremendous last year. So I think he'll probably keep Springer again. He's still reasonably priced at $25. Um, I, I had him keeping Jack Flaherty. Um, he paid a buck um, for... <laughs> to me last year for him I was shocked when he texted me he texted me kind of out of nowhere after the all-star break he was a little lower in the standings I think he was fourth or fifth at the time um he was still top half but I think um I, I didn't I didn't consider him to be one of the buyers at that point in the season and he texted me about Flaherty and I said yeah you can have him for a, a buck like I wasn't gonna try and push him on anything and Flaherty was just pitching really poorly at the time and Trevor had mentioned to me like I think after the fact he's like yeah I was looking through who might be willing to trade a guy and I saw Flaherty and you know he's you know he 
was pretty good and you know maybe he'll turn around and sure enough he did I think he was probably may, may might have even been the best pitcher in the second half last uh, season our seasons with fantasy have been replete with players like that and it's always interesting so very impressive uh, foresight I won't talk about <laughs> Paul Goldschmidt uh, yeah. for Brad's sake <laughs> no uh, so very well done uh, by Trevor uh, picking out Flaherty and taking a shot on him, and it paid off big time. And yeah, I have him down for keeping Flaherty. I'm not sure he will, um, but I, that's what I have down right now. Um, and then AJ Puck, you know, he loves the A's. He loves young A's. Uh, Puck came out looking really good last season. Uh, I think it was last season. Got hurt like right away, um, and I think he sat on him all year. So he sat on him. Um, he's only three dollars. Uh, he's he's poised, ready to go for next season. I, I think he'll keep him. And then the other two, Whit Merrifield, like you said. Um, no, I did not say Whit Merrifield. Uh, I thought you mentioned. Well, you mentioned, mentioned him, him, but not right. necessarily one of the guys not you to thought to keep. keep. Uh, and then DJ Lemayu. He's twenty six bucks, but he was so good last year. He kind of had a career season, um, and he's not young. He's like. How old is he? 33? I don't know his age, but he's been around a while. Quite yeah, a few, maybe eight or nine oh, years. No, he's not as old as I thought. He's 31. Well, he's so, still yeah, over 30, not, right? Yeah, he's not on the downside of his career. 30 um, sort of that threshold. Yeah, he's a guy who does not strike out much. And no. he just puts the bat on the ball. And he hit atop that Yankees lineup, managed to hit the most home runs of his career at 26. Um... And he just had a tremendous season. Uh, I don't know that people are going to expect the same from him, especially power-wise. Um, but I think people think he'll put together another nice season. Whether that's a $26 season or not, I don't know. Um, so, now, uh, just to quick read. Oh, go ahead. Well, you, I, did you name all six? Uh, so I have Olsen. LeMahieu, Merrifield, Springer, Flaherty, Puck. So you left off Lazardo. That's interesting. Is, I must have missed that. Where is Lazardo? I thought Lazardo was, was like a foregone yeah, conclusion. Yeah, you know what? You're right. I, need, I, I must have just overlooked it. You're right. Lazardo. He's, he's almost certainly going to keep Lazardo, which means, I don't know, drop LeMahieu or Merrifield or Flaherty, but I think Lazardo, Puck, Springer, Olsen... I'm fairly confident in those. So then it's just the last two okay. who he's going to keep. All right. Okay. Uh, moving on to sixth place. Um, that would be Kyle. Beards and Baseball. That's Kyle. Um, who you got for Kyle? Kyle is, and as I've spoken with other managers in the league, I think I'm in good company. Kyle is just an enigma to me. He's tough to, he's a tough one to, to read because he's got names, uh, but they're pricey and most of them didn't have years last year that would be, uh, that would um, make their price worthwhile. So he's got, you know, Noah Syndergaard at $36 and he was not good last year. Uh, Keichel at $31 at, at, at and Bumgarner, Mad Bum at $31. Those guys, and Altuve at 38 who did get better, but, you know, we don't know how he'll do without that buzzer underneath his uniform this year. Um, if, <laughs> you're supposed to laugh there. 
Okay. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Um, Good job. So, 38. But, but what I had... Okay, so he's the only one that I did not pick six guys. Because if I was, say, keeping, I couldn't... There's not six guys I would keep. But I did put down Altuve at 30, 28. No, 38. 38, yeah. Oh, that means I messed this up. Um, at 38. And... Um, Chapman at 11. I put Jose Abreu. Uh, you know, he was a guy I think we all thought was on his way out last year. And at least I did. I thought he was on his way down anyway. And he, if I'm not mistaken, he led the American League in RBIs. And as you mentioned uh, just a bit ago, we talked about Encarnacion. Uh, that White Sox lineup is getting better, not worse. So he's going to be hitting. Didn't he drive in like 120 runs or something? Yeah, like I'm looking that? at it right now. 123. 123. Okay. So um, I put you know at 23 bucks, I thought he was worth worth a shot for the RBIs and and so on. So okay. um, so I had him keeping those three guys, and then maybe Wilson Ramos. That was a maybe for me. So if he kept just the three, um, it would leave him with about 210 dollars to draft with, which would be among the top uh, budgets uh, that he would have to spend. Um, if he kept Ramos and put him around 200 which is still uh, would be among uh, the elite in terms of what they had to spend. So that's what I had. I, I couldn't come up with six that I was comfortable with. Yeah, I couldn't either. Um, so... When I'm looking at keepers, I'm looking at a couple things. Um, I'm looking at the player themselves. What do I expect them to do this year? And then the other component is the cost. Because when you pay a certain amount of money, you're hoping that you're getting at least that much money's worth of production back. So, I mean, you could have a, a really good player, a really good name, who's gonna give you $30 worth of value, but if he costs 35 bucks, uh, you're, you're expecting to lose $5 in value by paying for that. And looking at the players on his team, there aren't too many that I'm, I feel comfortable saying this guy is going to return his cost in production. Um, I, 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 I put four guys down, um, but that was even that was tough. His clear keeper to me is Matt Chapman. Um, he's only $11. He had a really nice season. Um, I think most of us would be keeping Matt Chapman. Yeah, I agree. $11. I agree. I, I, think, I feel comfortable saying, I'm paying $11 for Matt Chapman. He's going to return more value than that. So that's easily worth the cost. I do have him with Altuve, with Altuve's second half. Um, I don't know how Kyle's going to respond to all the, the cheating stuff and whether he thinks Altuve's numbers are going to come down. Um, if he thinks so, then he, he probably won't keep him. But $38 for Altuve, if you expect him to do what he's capable of, is okay. Um, he could come return close to that dollar value, and he's probably had seasons where he's returned a little bit more. Um, and then Abreu, yeah, I have Abreu down. He's $23. You're right, he did lead the American League in RBIs at 123 um, The only player... Uh, in the National League with more than that was Anthony Radone with 126. The only problem with Jose Abreu, it seems like we've been mentioning this a lot about a, a number of players, is he doesn't walk. 
a 5.2% walk rate last year. He's 6.3% for his career. That's not good. And it really puts a cap on his OPS because his on-base percentage just isn't as good. He hits for a quality average. So 284 is actually, that's above average. Um, And he had a 503 slugging percentage. That's good. 33 home runs. Like you mentioned, lots of RBIs, but he just doesn't walk a ton. What was his OPS? Uh, 833. Okay. That's quality. I mean, it's it's not going to bump your team up too much, but it's not certainly not going to hurt them. Um, well, do you think he's worth $23? Uh, no. No, even with the RBIs and uh, the improved lineup? Maybe. Maybe. Uh, if, I'm, if I'm thinking, uh, he's worth, I would say he's worth bare minimum $15. Um, I think he's worth about 20 bucks. And But then the third component I consider is, can I get this guy for this cost in the draft? Right. Um, and I, I just don't know that a Jose Abreu is going to go for much more than $23. But that said, Kyle isn't really, uh, he, it's not like he has, he's, uh, his line, his roster is overflowing with keepable players. So if he has an open spot, why not keep him at $23, um, rather than risk having to pay a little bit more in the draft. So I think you're right. Um, the, the only other guy that I added on here um, was Nelson Cruz. Um, kind of like Edwin Encarnacion, we expect them any year yeah. to fall off, especially since Nelson Cruz, he is, he's almost 40. He's 39. Yeah. Um, and, and I missed, I, I, I had thought about him when I was assessing Kyle and I didn't write anything down, but I would have put him down as a question mark that Kyle might might pick up. He did struggle with injuries a little bit last year. He only had 521 plate appearances, um, but he's another guy who had a ridiculous second half. His OPS was over 1,000 last year. Uh, uh, looks like 1,031. Um, he had 41 homers, right. 108 RBIs. Um, strikeout rate at 25% isn't bad for a bopper like he is. He doesn't walk a ton, but he's not a low walk rate guy like Jose Abreu. Um, the numbers he put up last year is worth $38. Yeah. The question is, do you, do you think, think he's going to do it can. again? <laughs> can he do that again? I, I cannot imagine Nelson Cruz goes for $38 in the draft. So even if he has an open spot, if it were me, even if I want Nelson Cruz, who I think is utility only, I'm probably throwing him back out there. And if I want him, I'm, I'll draft him knowing that I'm probably going to get him for cheaper than 38 uh, that said, we never know what somebody's going to do, um, and with n- not too many great options, I-, I can see it as a possibility of him just deciding, you know what, I'll just keep Cruz, not risk anything, and make him one of my guys. All right, uh, last one, uh, Red 5, Uncle E Trader, um, came in fifth place last year, top five. Uh, who you got for Uncle Eric? Uh, his was relatively easy for me. Um, I have him taking uh, Justin Otani at 28, Justin Barrios at 20, wait, wait. Justin <laughs> Torres at 13, <laughs> Justin Glasnow at 6, Justin Devers at 6, and Justin Meadows at 4. <laughs> After the first couple of Justins, I-, I thought you'd gone crazy. <laughs> <laughs> 
so for Eric, that would amount to uh, looks like seventy-seven dollars in expenditure because those guys are just cheap. Otani's twenty-eight; he's the most expensive. Barrios twenty. Torres thirteen. Glasnow six. Devers six, um, and Meadows four. So he's got some real potential, great values there. Um, so seventy-seven bucks. He's got two hundred ninety-three. That's going to leave him with two hundred sixteen dollars to spend, which is going to put him probably in the top two or three. Um, I think you're a little, you'll be about fifteen, sixteen dollars higher than him. Um, but he's he's going to be in a great draft position. Yeah, I'm I'm mostly in agreement, um, and I might have been in full agreement before he started floating Barrios as a trade chip. Um, not too long after he traded for Barrios, he kind of put him on the block, which makes me think he wants that keeper spot for somebody else. Yeah, you and I talked about this, and I talked to him about it a little bit, and I think he was floating it out there, but I think he he's well prepared to keep Barrios as well. So that's why I went ahead and put him on there because I didn't see anybody jumping out at picking him up, okay. making that trade. So uh, if, if Barrios isn't traded, then he, I think he's surely kept. So that's where I was. Well, um, I, I had him keeping Joe Adele instead, but it uh, sounds like you have a little more insight there than I do. So it'll either be Adele or Barrios. Probably sounds like it's going to be Barrios. I will say, um, if it were me, I don't think I'd keep Otani at $28 um, for a few reasons. One, he takes up two roster spots, which we won't go into it now, but that's something we need to address because we've got multiple players who are now going to be qualifying as at both spots, and we want to decide if we want to keep doing it this way. Furthermore, should he count for two keeper spots? Uh, I would say definitely not. Okay. Um, but because he's just one player. Yeah, um, but anyway, we won't. We don't have to go into. No, and I'm not implying you should. Okay. I was just asking a question. Right. Um, but he he takes up two roster spots, which isn't necessarily bad. But those roster spots are fairly valuable. Uh, this season, uh, he will be pitching, but he's obviously coming off very serious. Uh, was it Tommy John or was it something else? Uh, something else, I think. I don't know. Okay. Well, it, it's. Until I'm excited about it. <laughs> yeah. Um, he, uh, we haven't seen him pitch in a year. He's going to be a, a very limited innings count. Um, last season, hitting-wise, he's utility only. So you have to play him at the utility spot. Um, he did have an 848 uh, OPS, which is good. But it's not, it's not amazing it's not 900 it's no it's not so 343 on base percentage is okay um he only walks 7.8 percent of the time and he had 25.9 percent strikeout rate so not not the greatest plate discipline um slugging was really good 505 um i just don't know like going back to the is he gonna return this kind of value is he gonna return 28 dollars worth of value i don't i don't know I mean, do you look at it like that, or do you look at it like, will he return $14 with a value as a hitter and 14 as a pitcher? Well, certainly collectively. Yeah. Will his pitching stats plus his hitting stats give you $28 of the value? I don't know. 
And if I, since I don't know, and the next thing I think is, okay, well, if I throw him back out there, how much does he go for in the draft? I don't know that he goes for 28. He might. So it's possible. So if you really like the guy um, and you don't want to risk anything, um, then sure, keep him at 28. Um, just me personally, considering the couple of roster spots he takes up, $28 isn't cheap. I might throw him back out there and hope to get him cheaper or, you know, someone else overpays for him. Well, uh, what do you think Eric does? Oh, I think he keeps him. Okay. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to have a little Otani conversation. All right. Any other uh, comments on Uncle Eric's team? Nope. Okay. Well, that uh, concludes this segment uh, of uh, Keeper Prospects. Uh, we will take another break, uh, and then we'll come back for our final segment. All right. Okay, party bonus. All right, we're back with uh, our the final part of our episode two podcast. Um, I'm back again with Say Hey Kid. Um, for this last segment, we're going to talk about the stats that we use in Web Gems. And as uh, you mentioned earlier, we have a lot of statistics. Obviously, we do eleven by eleven. And uh, <clears throat> when you have so many stats, it can be difficult to kind of zero in on what's most important when you're evaluating a player. Yeah. Um, you have to look at 11 different things uh, for each player, presuming they're either just a hitter or just a pitcher. Right, and it's challenging because um, typically when we rely on experts to give their analysis of players and their value and so on... Um, it's typically based on five by five. I won't say always, but for the most part. And so um, what their opinions are only has a certain degree of value to us because we use so many more stats. Yes, and one statistic that sticks out to me when I'm listening to experts talk about five by five leagues is stolen bases. Because in five by five leagues, as you've often heard me quote uh, or say, um, stolen bases are 20% of your offensive output whereas in our league they're only nine percent right not to mention they look at the full stolen base value and they don't look at uh, the caught stealing so whereas we look at net stolen bases which sometimes uh, not that big of a deal but sometimes there's guys that get caught high percentage of time yeah I I agree and that can make a huge difference in the value of the player Um, so I did a little statistical analysis um, for the offensive stats because I was curious to find out which of our stats should I really be zeroing in on when I'm evaluating a player just to kind of help me whittle down what I should be looking at um, that are gonna be, that's going to be most impactful for my end-of-the-year statistics. So what I did was I took um, this final standings um, from each of the last three years. And I took, say, 2019. And uh, for each of the individual 11 statistics, like starting with runs, I created a graph. Um, and this is all done on uh, Google Sheets, Excel. Okay. Um, I put in the numbers and I created a graph for runs compared to final placement in the standings for offense. Um, for instance, um, in 2000, so I'll start with 2017. Um, in 2017, I finished uh, with 11 points in runs, and I was first 
in total offensive points. So on the x-axis of the graph, on the horizontal graph, that's where I graphed where that person finished in offensive statistics, um, total offense, to offensive points. And on the vertical axis, I graph runs. Um, and then Tyler scored 12 points in runs, which is our highest, and he was second in offense. So I graphed all of those points for runs versus total points scored. Um, and that created a little scatter plot. And then um, I programmed in for it to draw um, a line. Um, uh, I forget what it's called. Uh, it, it's just a line through the scatter plot to show kind of the trend of the data. And then there's actually a statistical number that you can come up with. It's called the correlation coefficient um, that determines how closely related those two plot points were. I know this is getting kind of dense, but um, basically the whole point is to see what was the relationship between the amount of runs a team scored and the final total offensive points they scored. And I did that for all 11 offensive categories. And then I looked at that number that shows how closely related they are in order to see which statistics most closely predicted how that team finished in total offensive points. So that way, we can see... <laughs> it's a mouthful. We, yeah, we, we can see which offensive categories are most predictive of offensive total offensive points scored. Does that make any sense at all? I, I'm, I'm following you. <laughs> okay. You must be explaining pretty clearly because I'm slow to begin with. Okay. So. <laughs> all right, so if, we, if I look at all 11 of our statistics... Um, and I looked at three years worth of data because every year it's a little bit different. Um, certain statistics were a little more highly correlated with how a team did in the final standings than others. And it kind of bounced back and forth. So I just looked at the three-year average. Which of the stats do you think was most closely associated with total offensive points scored? Well, um, I have some thoughts in that regard. Although what you just cited um, leads me to believe that perhaps, and it makes a little bit of sense to me, but it's not one I would have mentioned, but that runs would be up there. Uh, runs is up there. Uh, runs is actually, well, I say up there, it's sixth. Oh, it's not that high. It's sixth. Okay. okay. But... Runs came in at, and if I look at that number I was talking about, the correlation mm -hmm. coefficient, it comes in at 62%, which means 62% of the data can be attributed to the relationship between runs and the total points you score on offense, okay. which is actually pretty good. So runs is a significant stat we should be looking at when we're evaluating a player, but it came in at sixth. Yeah, and that's not, the, the three that... Uh, struck me the most um, were uh, and I'm I don't know if you want me to put these in order I wasn't going to put them in any particular order but um, average OPS and home runs so average came in actually just behind runs so runs Whoa. was 
average was 57% oh, of the okay. data was All attributed right. to the relationship between average and the final point score. Home runs was fifth at 64%. Not as high as I would have thought. And what was the other one you mentioned? OPS. OPS was second, 76%. Very high correlation there between OPS, your team OPS and your total points scored on offense. I have one other thought, mm -hmm. and that's total bases. Total bases was number one. Okay. Total bases came in at 82%. So there's kind of a few different tiers when you're looking at these stats. Um, total bases and OPS are at the top. Total bases came in at 82% um, of explaining the relationship. Uh, OPS came at 76%. Uh, and then hits comes in third, 69%. And all this kind of makes sense because those three stats, particularly total bases and OPS, all have a very strong relationship between most of the other statistics. Um, hits, walks, um, if, if you have good OPS and total bases, you probably have decent power, so then we're looking for some home runs. Um, so it kind of makes sense that those two stats in particular are really closely associated with how well a team does in offensive yeah. output. Um, so it was total bases, OPS, hits at 69%. RBIs came in fourth, 66%. And then as I mentioned, home run at 64%, runs at 62%, average at 57%. And then there's like a 20-point drop-off, and it gets to walks. Walks came in at 36%. So still significant. Walks plays a role in uh, OPS, probably plays a role in uh, runs scored, um, maybe to a less, much lesser extent, stolen bases. Um, and then dropping 20 more points, fielding percentage came in at 15%. Tenth was strikeouts at 6%. And last was... It's going to make Uncle, Eric Uncle happy. Eric's favorite. <laughs> Net stolen bases, 1%. There was essentially no relationship between how a team did in net stolen bases and how a team did in the total offensive points scored. There was no relationship. That's really interesting. Yeah. It, it, and, it, and validates Eric's uh, feelings about net stolen bases. Yes. Yeah. So when, and this is based off three years worth of data. Right. Um, every year can actually be a little different. In fact, last year, the highest one was hits. Came in at 87%. So for the most part, uh, how a team finished in hits last year predicted pretty well how a team finished in total offensive points scored. Uh, so when you're looking at a player, now you kind of know which stats are probably most important to emphasize when evaluating those players, namely total bases and OPS, also hits, RBIs, home runs, runs, and average. And then the ones that were least predictive were walks, fielding percentage, strikeouts, and net stolen bases. And so those should probably be a little deprioritized when evaluating players for our league in particular. So uh, that is, uh, that's that. Do you have any other questions? or? Anything? No, it's kind of interesting. In the end, uh, I mean, certainly you're going to look at one of those leading stats and know that you know, if you've got someone that's high in total bases, it obviously influences other stats. And um, by the same token, and I, I haven't, uh, as I'm listening to this, haven't justified this in my own mind, but um, nonetheless, 
in some ways, each stat in and of itself has equal value to every other stat in terms of points. It doesn't, like you said, it, it inf different stats influence other stats, but you still need to do well in walks. You still, I'm, I'm really curious. Uh, you haven't done this with pitching, right? I haven't done it with pitching. Yeah. No. It's really funny. I, I was just thinking about when we were, I knew we were going to talk about this, and I was thinking about pitching stats. And one that struck me was um, net saves. I know we have net saves holds now, but back the last time I won the league, um, I totally punted that category. I finished ted, dead last. And still won the league. And still won the league, yeah. Yeah, I would guess that most seasons when someone wins, there's one or two categories that they finish really low in the stands in, like one, two, three points at most. Might be fun to look at next time around. Yeah, and we can also look at the, uh, the pitching uh, numbers as well. I would, that seems uh, that's a little tougher for me to predict there. But okay, well that does it for this episode of the Web Gems Fantasy Podcast. Great, um, and we'll see you next time.